Today is March 1st, 2022. Welcome to Native Calgarian. Oki, Nagana Go, Mekoche, Chestokom, Aki. My name is Red Thunder Woman. My married English name is Michelle Robinson, and I use she and her pronouns. Native Calgarian is being recorded on the lands of the Nitsitapi, which is the Blackfoot Confederacy. The Blackfoot south of the imposed U.S. Canadian border are the Blackfeet, and north of the border are the Siksika, Ganai, and Bagani of the Confederacy. These lands are Treaty 7, signed September 22, 1877, with signatures that include the Blackfoot Confederacy, the Wesley, Chiniki, and Bearspaw Nations of the Stony Nations, and the Dene from Sutina. I acknowledge all First Nation, Métis, Inuit, status and non-status across Turtle Island as the keepers of these lands. All non-Indigenous are treaty partners with the government signing on your behalf. I honor the Blackfoot as the elders and members have been kind to me on my Red Road journey. Elder Red Crane taught me how to pronounce my spirit name. I was born in Calgary or in Blackfoot Milkinstis as Michelle Elliott, an English name which has afforded me great privilege in an English colonial world. My mother is Northern Slavey Dene or Satu Dene, but my Indian Act and Post status card by the Canadian government says Yellow Knives Dene. My father is so Canadian. I'm a daughter of the Mayflower, a daughter of the American Revolution, while having an Indian Act imposed status card. My Dene lineage roots me in the land of the Hare people, like, like rabbits, uh, also called the Great Bear Lake people in Treaty 11. I'm a native to Turtle Island, and my Dene nation is a visitor to this area of Clincho Tine Indahe in Satu Dene, meaning Many Horse Town, named after the Calgary Stampede. Land acknowledgements are critical for creating a safer space for Indigenous as well as honoring the hosts as a guest and acknowledging your role as a treaty partner. My humblest apologies uh, to the Blackfoot elders and language keepers as I try to learn proper pronunciation. Any mistakes or misinterpretations will be on me. I encourage questions so that misunderstandings can be cleared up as soon as possible. I do not speak on behalf of all Indigenous. I just share what I know as I walk down the red road. My Patreon account is Native Calgarian, where you can pledge and support. Thank you to my previous donors for already showing your support. If you value listening or watching and can afford to give, thank you. For those who cannot afford to give, I'd love to hear from you at nativeyyc at gmail.com, where you can send in your comments or your questions. Also, giving a review helps in whatever medium you're listening from. If you have questions, you can uh, see the section about where you can pick my brain. I have a YouTube channel that you can go and subscribe. Go to nativecalgarian.com for all of the information that I've been telling you. So today I'd like to uh, welcome my guest, Steve. Steve, would you like to introduce yourself? Sure, thank you very much. Thanks for having me on the show. I'm, I'm pleased to be here. Uh, my name is Steve September. I uh, was born in Cape Town, South Africa. I was born into apartheid. Uh, my folks left, they had to leave, had to flee South Africa because of the 1961 um, Sharple massacre, and they were rounding up people who were uh, organizers and agitators, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So my 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 father especially had to leave. Uh, he came in 1960, literally right after he came in the May 1960. Sharple was March 21st, 1960. So he left in May, and we followed him the, the next year in May. The family, the, uh, my mom, my my brother, my sister, myself. So uh, anti-racism work has been in our family. I was born into it, basically. If you're if you're in, if you're born in South Africa, you're you're dealing with racism, um, even even today. And we'll talk about some of that a little later. Yeah. Um, I belong to the anti-racism coalition in Vancouver. If you want to, if people want to take a quick look, anti-racismcoalition.org. You will find um, lots of information about us and what we are doing and how we are growing. If, you, if anybody in your audience has heard of a Black Shirt Day, we are the ones that instituted Black Shirt Day. And in the line of Orange Shirt Day and Pink Shirt Day, uh, we figured that uh, it is a very, very, very uh, powerful tool to use to, ex to basically expose racism all around. We do not want to supplant any of the other shirts at any ways possible, but we celebrate all of them. And uh, we have known, we have been known to celebrate all of them. Um, racism is an ongoing thing. However, what, in order to really understand what racism is, I developed a, a um, basically a four part mini series and, the four, and it's called Legacies of Apartheid. And the reason why 
I figured we have to do a four-part series because you really cannot understand what racism is without a historical perspective. So in part one is going to be British colonialism, which we'll deal with today. We only have an hour. These are longer ones. The next one is British imperialism. And when it and and dates dates are applied to this as well. The third one is apartheid South Africa. Um, I know extensively uh, about about that topic, having been born into it, and also having uh, uh, being part of the anti-apartheid movement, especially in Manitoba, where I, as a child, grew into the movement and eventually uh, led the movement as a chairperson of the movement. So. Um, working with quite a few different people. So that is apartheid South Africa. Our fourth segment is apartheid Israel. Uh, very timely right now because the Amnesty International has uh, uh, actually uncovered, not uncovered, not even discovered, has actually mentioned un unequivocal, unequivocally that this is apartheid. If you really take a look at Britain's role and the United States role in uh, establishing legalized racism, you will see that uh, Israel and apartheid South Africa started in 1948, 1947, 1948, at the same time. There's a reason for that. There's a reason that's again, divide and rule. So let's continue with British colonialism. This week I call phase one. And British colonialism is steeped in the feudal traditions, the stratification, the hierarchy of the European experience. And I can say that we'll talk about the four M's. I uncovered this many years ago and how, um, how the, the basic segmenting of society was, was starting with the four M's. I call four M's because we start with the first one, which is missionaries. By the grace of God, man was made in the image of God, the divine right of kings. Therefore, the corruption of any other beliefs and practices imperative to maintaining psychological control through religion. Not just any religion, European archetypes religion. This is the writing, the rewriting, the interpretation, the misinterpretation, the forgery, and the control of the narrative, which is paramount and as seen as the word of God. So what happens when the missionaries come? They don't come to learn anything else about indigenous people because they deem themselves as superior. Their God has made them the superior. You can see it in many of these colonial um, uh, empires. We saw it in South Africa with the Calvinists movement. Uh, the Calvinist movement were a, uh, from, from the Netherlands, not even that time, but Holland area, um, the Netherlands area, these were Dutch uh, people who believed that they had the divine right to go anywhere in the world and conquer and take lands. And in order to do that, they'd have to prove that nobody lived there. It's kind of easy to say nobody lived there if your racist attitude is such that you do not feel that other people are people. If you say that these are less than human so that you can say, okay, there wasn't any people there. Okay, if there wasn't any people there, well, where was Africa what? So it's, it's the rewriting and the same thing happens at, at, at came over. I mean, the, the Spanish conquistadors where how did they deny the history? They burnt Mayan texts. They did not know what they were burning. All they knew it wasn't their religion. They did not know that these were scientific documents. These were medical documents. These were astrological documents because they couldn't read it. They thought it was it was evil, was devil, devil's worship. They did not care for it. The only thing they could not destroy was a stone, the stilos. They tried to blow up many, they tried to cover up many, but they could not uh, destroy the stone. And still today we're finding out 
just massive amount of information on science, math, ast astrology, medicines, et cetera, et cetera. Can you imagine how far, how more far ahead the earth would be if everybody opened up to understanding other people's lives, right? You know, um, um, I just had an argument with somebody on Twitter and, and he was still convinced that we would somehow, you know, that we weren't modern people and such. And, you know, it, it is back to that um, ignorance uh, that he was raised with. And, and frankly, most Canadians are, you know, given curriculum that doesn't give them this information about uh, previous Indigenous knowledge. Yes, in fact, it's it's ignored. It's not it's not part of a curriculum yeah. because they still feel that they are superior. They still do, even to this day. They feel that nobody else would be in the position that they would be in uh, if they hadn't had uh, Europeans coming over here, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Okay, so we can deal with some of, with some of those, but specifically specifically to um, yeah, no, I'll give you I'll give you a little example, right? How how arrogant. So we have people that came over from Europe and they're settling in Africa. And they're laughing at the people in Africa. Hey, this is not how we do it. We live by right by the river. The river is our water source. You guys live six miles away from the river and you come to the river, you collect water, and you go back. Or you have collections at your site, and but you don't live by the river. So the Africans said nothing. The Europeans settled right by the river. And a year later, if they weren't eaten by hippos, crocodiles, and died from malaria, they were decimated. Entire populations. They refuse to believe that anybody has better information than they do, that they do things differently for reasons, and that they have a vast amount of experience, knowledge, et cetera, et cetera. And that is also why a lot of, uh, we don't understand a lot about African history specifically, never mind anything else, but African history specifically, because University of Timbuktu burnt um, massive empires, burnt to the ground, a denial of everything. You have to call Africa the dark continent, not only because of the people, because there's nothing there. You don't want to go there. It's too dangerous. We're going to go and tame it. Meanwhile, there were vast uh, uh, empires that existed, and you cannot hide it because most of them were in stone. So, you, you know, you think Egypt was the only one. Now they're discovering that uh, Zimbabwe ruins, Mwenuatapo's kingdom was dealing with gold before, um, uh, before Europe was even in, out of the Bronze Age. Mm -hmm. So that is the denial of, of the kind of history. And that's what we have to do. And that's one of the reasons why ARC, Anti-Racism Coalition in Vancouver, has stated in our mission statement to educate, legislate, and social events. And the most important thing is to educate, to find out what is reality and what is not. Yep. To know that there's people with a vast amount of knowledge that are not white, and that these people have to be respected in what they know. So in order to control people, you have to bring in a religion. And these religions are always going to be a them and a us. And lately, a lot of people are starting to get really upset with uh, with the fact that um, that they're finding out knowledge in variety of different places that they never knew existed, namely the pyramids, how the pyramids worked, and of course they don't even know how how it's done even today because their science is not there. They could be the pyramids could be could have been built not by slave labor but by people who actually wanted to build a pyramids because it was a collective society at that point in time. Now they're saying, you know, religion also says, and I, I have to challenge some of the, the, the people that are really, really religious that um, it, Earth started 6,000 years ago. And so they were trying to rewrite, well, no, if that's the case, well, no, no, dinosaurs also existed 6,000 years ago and, uh, and uh, paleontology is absolutely incorrect. They get it wrong. So they have continued to rewrite, distort history to fit a narrative that in itself is distorted, that in itself is incorrect. Yeah. So um, I, a book I would really highly recommend to folks is uh, The Importance of Monogamy. And it's about um, uh, nation building in Western Canada. 
And the concept was, uh, you know, geomatics, they did the full surveys, and then they would only give the land to um, married white people who, um, men specifically, who, um, and, and nobody could vote except them. Correct. So, you know, it, it was, uh, it's a really great uh, example of how they, you know, did the original apartheid of Western Canada when it came to reservations and uh, forcing Indigenous into these small plots of land. And um, I recommend it only because, you know, as we talk about apartheid and, and its origins, this is such a uh, well uh, academic documented um, account of how they basically divvied up the land and didn't allow women to have it or um, folks who were uh, in a poly relationship. It had to be monogamous. And that's why it's called, of course, the importance of monogamy uh, to basically show this Christian belief system that they imposed here. They imposed the straight agenda. They imposed all of these um, ideas, Western concepts, European concepts onto us. So uh, I just wanted to give a plug out for that book because it, it's absolutely a worldview change for, and I, I think it should be required reading for folks in Canada because they need to understand the basics of where um, apartheid came from. Correct. And when, when we talk about apartheid, which is the, the third in the series, you'll find out that the architects of apartheid use the Indian Act of North America, the British North American Indian Act to uh, institute the types of uh, draconian laws that only allowed certain things. And if you wanna go and take a, hit, a look at the history of the United States, when the United States um, uh, constitution says all, are, all men are equal, they weren't talking about everybody in the land, they were talking about the business class fighting against the ruling class of Britain. They were talking about against the kings that they want these guys, they wanted these of the United States wanted to be equal as the lords and the kings of England. They weren't talking about the rights of indigenous or African people that were brought over. So that in itself is, is very telling. But anyway, go back to the missionaries. Let me go back to the missionaries because um, um, it's important to note and we only have a couple more minutes. Of, I mean, uh, half an hour more. Okay, so the thing is with the missionaries is that once people are subjected to this hierarchical structure, everybody has to find their place. And to be saved, you have to come to a central place, which is the church, to be healed. And I like to say healed in two ways, H-E-A-L-D, which is healed as in the spirit, because obviously other people's uh, beliefs are not valid. And also to be healed, H-E-E-L-E-D, which is you will conform. You will conform to us. You will make sure that this is what you are doing. All right. And I, you can't imagine uh, if you look at indigenous, indigenous uh, laws right throughout the, the, uh, the world, and uh, including in, in sometimes especially in North America, there was no ownership of land. Nobody owned the land. And you talk about spirit, spiritual, spirituality. Nobody said that we pray to a God, but we see God or spirits in everything that exists because we're one with the planet, one with earth. And even saying ownership of land in, in North America, you don't really own the land. You own the surface rights to the land. You don't own anything below that. So the government can say that they own all the land. So does that mean that the government is socialist or communist, that they own all the land? But when, as soon as you struck gold or diamonds or any other minerals and oil, all of a sudden the land belongs to the government again. And the government will then sell the land, but not really sell the land. They will give concessions to huge corporations that will come in and destroy the land. And there's no, there's no, um, there's no uh, recourse whatsoever. They no, don't, they no don't put the land back to where it was. They destroy it, plain and simple. Sometimes, yeah. if, if any, I used to talk to people in Alberta lots, right? That they said, ah, oh, you guys are, you know, you just, you, you want to kill a whale to be swimming around, but you don't want oil, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So I said, um, you live in Alberta. Have you ever flown over the oil sands? 
Have you ever seen what it really looks like? You go fly over the oil sands, and then you come to BC and fly over some of the forests and tell me what you would prefer. Where would you prefer to live? And is it worth destroying mother nature in order to have what? You don't even, you, there's no benefit. There's no benefit, net benefit of people, even in, even in Alberta, of oil. Yeah, cheap taxes, uh, less expensive uh, groceries, maybe less expensive oil, energy for oil, nothing else. No, there's we don't, we don't even get that though. That's the ironic part. Like we, um, so the budget just came out here in Alberta and um, everything's going up. Like we, we have um, service fees for everything. We don't have free services. Everything has a, has a, has a cost. And that's why you see such a huge number of Indigenous people and marginalized folks die because we can't afford all these costs that constantly come out here. Um, and for folks who are in the upper class, they um, obviously have incredible benefits uh, through their right. companies and such, so they can afford. And, and they, don't, they don't see the cost because they make way too much money and they don't care about the people around them. And in fact, worse, uh, today they instituted uh, more police, more transit police, and now so-called ambassadors to um, have the poorest people in the, our city have to pay, uh, make sure that we're paying our, tr our transit fare because, um, you right, know, right. we have such low ridership now. And um, because right. all of the rich folks, they obviously are staying in their homes. They're not going, they don't have to take public transit. They never had to. Right, correct, yeah. Yeah, exactly. So again, where does that stratification come in? Where's the idea of stratification comes in? You can go right back to religion again, where you have God and the Pope underneath or whatever other, uh, denominations you have, you have this leadership and it's always going to be patriarchal. There's always going to be the white man on the top and everything else filters through, right? And you'll have to find your place in that you have to be healed, H-E-E-L-D. Okay. Uh, recently, we had a great man pass away. His name is uh, Archbishop Desmond Tutu. And he, he summed it up great about South Africa. He said, when they came, they had the Bible. We had the land. They said, let us pray. When we opened up our eyes, we had the Bible and they had the land. I think that's, that's actually incredible that, of course, that he can, he can relay that message so eloquently, even he's a man of the cloth. Yeah. Because I know he used his position with, with, with that to try and influence what is happening. He was... He was a liberation theologist for sure mm. okay so there's tons of more examples i can use on the missionaries but i want to go to the second m which are the merchants because political economy is a redefined weapon of control as well as a means of one-sided accu uh, accumulation of wealth when i used to live in zambia many years ago zambia was a commonwealth country and we used to say Commonwealth, yes, the Commonwealth for and of Britain, nothing else. We, we never had anything that came with back. We had, yeah, you take a look at the stratification. We used to, I used to laugh at the judges sitting there in Zambia where you had these uh, uh, black men sitting there, uh, judges, and they had literally the garb of England. They had these cotton wigs on, they had this kind of, and they had to dress in this absurd costumes yeah. because that was the law that came down from colonialism. And can you imagine wearing those costumes in the heat of Zambia? Can you imagine Zambia, the coldest ever that I ever know Zambia to get was 10 degrees. Oof. The hottest was about 40, 45, right? In some areas it would be six, 50, 50 or something like that. But for, it just doesn't make sense that they would subject themselves because of colonial past. And this is the next thing we're going to be talking about. But let me just keep on talking about uh, the merchants. Okay, so even after learning from the Indigenous people how to live off the land, uh, there was a transplanting and implanting of the European way of life. I gave you an example of, of the, the rivers in, in Africa. I can give you some more examples of how the indigenous people of Canada actually taught the uh, many of the Europeans who weren't 
from Eastern and Northern European how to, or Europe, how to live in the cold. You know, and it's only when you're in uh, Siberia and Russia that you really understand the cold of Canada. Otherwise, you don't. People from Western and Southern uh, uh, Europe can't, don't, you don't understand that kind of cold. The only ones that really did a lot were the Ukrainians, where they understood it, and they were able to uh, have farms, et cetera, et cetera. So the types of food that were necessary uh, to uh, grow, et cetera. But so what happens? They don't want that. The, uh, the powers that be do not want um, any of the traditional foods, any traditional uh, medicines. You, ha you have to become totally dependent on the forces of colonialism in order to survive. So your entire society is corrupted. You won't eat wild rice, you'll eat flour, you'll eat the wheat products, you'll eat bannock, you'll eat et cetera, et cetera. So when you grew up, when, when indigenous people grow up on natural foods, they maintain a certain body. They maintain a certain type of physicality, a certain type of health. When you stray from that, and you get all these other foods that might be okay for Europe, but not okay for indigenous people, you'll find the propensity of ill health, obesity, diabetes, lack of, of, um, of proper uh, healthcare, you will see that these things will occur. So the merchants come and they will only have their wares. So you'll only be able to buy what the merchants have to offer. And the merchants will then take over the land and recultivate the land so that all of the, the, uh, all of the produce goes back to um, Europe, especially England. Tobacco, coffee, tea, cotton, you name it, gold, all the stuff from the Caribbean, all the stuff from, from the Eastern seaboard, all goes back to Europe. And then they refine it there and they bring it back and it's quadruple the price. They don't set, they don't set up factories and employ people, et cetera. They don't do that either. They just send the raw goods over, manufactured, come back. The biggest example is India, where uh, Sashi Tarur, a brilliant mind, brilliant mind, he's a, he takes the Britain to task all the time. His famous, as far as I'm concerned, his famous line for me is, never in the history of the earth has one group of people, Britain, made the richest country in the world and turn it into the poorest country in the world in 200 years. And that was India. They did it to India. They stole incredible amounts of, of everything. Yeah. Not only and not only just riches in, in, in goods, in, in physical goods, but mathematics, science, art, artwork, yeah. uh, religion, um, spices, special types of spices and, and, and medicines, you know? Yeah. So you, you see a total corruption of people's uh, economic way of life. You see a total corruption of their spiritual way of life. And now we're gonna come into the third M, the military. They come in with the military, with their superpower, the super, a super organization, because they have one thing in mind. They have one thing in mind is total control. That's all they want. They don't want anybody to argue, because if, if you haven't been healed by the, by the uh, missionaries, yeah. and you haven't been corrupted by the new economic system through the merchants, then there must be something wrong with you, mm -hmm. because this is the correct way of life. Europeans, Britain is the correct way of life. Yeah. So if you don't do that, you will, you will face the military. And how many of these different uh, military uh, operations were there right across the North American continent? And yeah. they kept on going. And they won't even, they'll write out a lot of people. The only people that they can't really write out of it is people like Tecumseh, right? Because it was a hard fought, fought battle because he had so many different uh, nation groups, tribes together fighting, but eventually the firepower worked. So military eventually worked. 
and we're gonna we're gonna disc we're gonna discuss this under imperialism, but uh, it's basically the technology that allowed, uh, especially Britain, to gain as much power as quickly as they did. Mm. And the military gets unleashed, and there's, it's barbaric. It's it's not only against fighting um, uh, wars, uh, men versus men for the patriarchy. No, it's about annihilating. And they'll, they'll have to regroup that that fourth M now, which is massacre. Yeah. They will love the, the, the Europeans love to just fight massacre. Uh, I don't know what it is. Um, I, I think I do, but I don't know what it is really. And we could see it even today in Ukraine. They're fighting. Yeah. They're the same people. They're Europeans, they're Slavic, they're fighting each other. Right? Where is the psychology of that? So they're, they're, I, I, I have my own ideas about some of that, but let's see. But you know what? Let's go back into the indigenous peoples all over the world. So what happens? Well, first they, and the massacre comes in any, any form at any time. They can bring the missionaries when they're being first and then they can massacre, massacre people as they did with the smallpox. They found that out, right? And uh, uh, eventually an accident of smallpox now becomes a way of life give people uh, smallpox infested blankets. Oh, here's a blanket, we're helping you keep warm. They did not, the indigenous people in North America didn't need to be helped kept warm uh, 10,000 years before that. They would, they didn't, nobody froze to death all of a sudden because they didn't have the European blanket. They had their own way of dealing with, uh, with a cold, the own way of dealing with changes of season. Very knowledgeable people that were just annihilated massacred, 80 million. Everybody wants to talk about the Holocaust in Europe because it's Europeans Holocaust. Nobody wants to talk about the 80 million people to 150 million people of North America. Yeah. Nobody wants to talk about the 10 million people of uh, Congo, Angola and Namibia that were massacred by, by the, the um, colonial powers at that stage, Belgium mainly. But Germany as well. Yeah. So they have this mentality of death, massacre, get rid of the, the issues, get rid of the problems, cover up everything. So and rewrite history. Here's a good one. Just recently, uh, there was a long term belief that uh, Britain received small, I mean, uh, sorry, syphilis from the indigenous population of North America. That that's how syphilis came to, to, to Europe. Uh, when was that? So 1492 onwards. So there were syphilis and then onwards. Okay, guess what they just discovered in London, in England. They discovered syphilis bones in a underneath churches where people had died from 1200. So is a syphilis retrograde? Is it? <laughs> you, how do you rewrite history like that? Yeah. So now they have to now, now they have to accept the fact that syphilis did come from North America, oh, sorry, did come from here to North America and not the other way around. But this kind of rewriting of history, total lies all the time and misinformation and omissions that really need to be addressed. Um, and the only way we can address it through education. And I think this is why we talk about educating. And that's why I broke down the four, the four part series into British colonialism first, because that's the, the root of it. And then how they really maintained all their grip through British imperialism, which is my next segment. And then we can talk about the other two, a part mm -hmm. of South Africa and a part of Israel after that. These are all our sessions. Yeah, so I guess um, obviously a lot of stuff has gone online because of the pandemic. So uh, is this something that would be outside of Vancouver that if somebody was listening in Saskatchewan could access? Of course, it's going to be on our website. We're in the we're in the process of all that right now. We're in the process of doing a lot of that stuff. You will see some are already of our. Uh, if you go to the um, antiracismcoalition.org, you go to the website. You will see uh, the question of the ballot box in South Africa. What does it mean? The question of hair. Black people uh, hair is treated differently in all different segments of society, right? Uh, you will see. Um, uh, the question of uh, Cancel Canada Day. What does it mean? 
What does cancel Canada mean actually? What is Canada? You know, asking questions, keep on asking questions. I think that's the main thing. And when you ask questions, you will try and find the answers, but you need to dig deep and you need to go people at least have some knowledge in different areas. And it's not only the, uh, the, the uh, people of the, in the academies, in the universities uh, and the colleges who have all this knowledge. There's some deep, deep, deep knowledge within the indigenous communities still today that they haven't been able to just kill off. Yeah, I um, talk about the United Nations Declaration on Rights of Indigenous People, or UNDRIP, I call it for short, um, yeah. for that reason. Uh, in it, they talk about how uh, education has to be looked at far bigger than just the way uh, colonizers decide to uh, implement their education. And, um, you know, it's in, in the articles, unfortunately, uh, you know, we give the solutions on a regular basis through this podcast and through uh, every medium that you can think of. And I, uh, I just get a kick out of settler colonizer fragility going, oh my God, I just don't know, even know what to do. And like, I'll, I'll give them frameworks. So here in Calgary, we have uh, a wonderful organization that uh, called Community Wise, and they had done this framework for these colonized um, policy type uh, nonprofits. I hate that terminology because it's one, not true, and two, it's just for white people to be able to continue with their uh, colonization. Anyway, um, there's this framework of anti-racism work and it's called um, uh, or anti-racism organizational change or AROC we call it and uh, it's free it's available for everybody to implement but you don't see Calgarians and their uh, nonprofits implemented because that would mean they'd have to do the work of anti-racism and it's just so much easier to uh, sit in their uh, fragility and uh, not address these issues and not look at the solutions that we regularly give them. Uh, Call to Action 57 for the Truth and Reconciliation Commission is anti-racism uh, and Indigenous education for all public servants. And I just see every like order of government fail on that. Um, why? Why? I'll tell you why. It's called systemic racism. Yep. These people who get into these positions of working through ministries and they're bureaucrats. They're not politicians, they're bureaucrats. Mm -hmm. And we faced this ourselves when we talked about the Black Shirt Day, implementing Black Shirt Day, and, but this is also Black History Month. And they will take your information and go, oh, this is so great. Wow, you guys have done a lot of good work. And they'll take it and they'll, they'll take it and they'll file it under G for garbage because they aren't prepared to let them actually do the work. If you come forward and do the work, they will still file it under G because for them it's dangerous. It's dangerous to have people knowing the truth and knowing how things really work. Yep. And we face this at a variety of stages when trying to present things. So what does that mean? It means we have to educate ourselves. We have to go back door. We have to, to make all these different uh, posters to hand into the schools. Like our big thing around Black History Month is to get posters and you can order them through, through us online. Uh, if you take a look at our education and also the media, you can, but these posters are for right now, prominent black people who have made changes in Canada. Mm. People have come up from the Caribbean because of, and it's all colonials. It doesn't matter where you come from. You were displaced from one place to another. Yeah. If you're, if you were, if you were in, in, uh, in and around Winnipeg, muddy waters, you were displaced to the north. So now you're called the Plains Cree, and then you're isolated in some, some place called Cross Lake, where there's no facilities, and you're isolated. You're, you're sitting there doing what? Learning nothing about anything because your curriculum stifles you. So we have to educate ourselves. Yeah. If we still think that the government body, say Ministry of Education, is going to bring things forward. We're just fooling ourselves. Yeah, I, obviously in Alberta, like they're making national news about their anti-Indigenous curriculum. Uh, but at, at the end of the day, I, I don't think folks understand that it's so much bigger. And I had confided in you yesterday that, um, you know, when you grow up in white supremacy, you have to constantly work at unlearning. 
and even for myself, despite uh, growing up with Rodney King and despite um, growing up with the ND NWA and calling out police brutality for decades, you know, nothing has changed. And I really had to still unpack a lot of anti-Black bias that has been taught to me through the society that we are uh, raising our children in and living within. So, um, you know, and I always challenge non-Indigenous people to do the same with their anti-Indigenous bias, but um, you know, it is, it, it's bigger than that. Oppression dynamics means gendered violence as well. Um, and trying to challenge Canadians on their thinking, they just don't want to go there. Um, yeah. So, you know, back to educating yourself. I mean, I'm, that's what I have to do. So unlearning constantly, relearning uh, old ways or traditional ways of Indigenous ways. And then um, trying to teach my daughter to figure out how to navigate both worlds as well. And I mean, I'm, I struggle with it at times, trying to uh, survive this because you know you are expected to white code, you are expected to conform. Indoctrination is one. It's, it's another way. When I talked about the missionaries and the merchants and the military, into you know, and being well healed, indoctrination is is a massive, right? So this brings up when we first got here, um, it was the lazy Indian, the dirty Indian, the drunken Indian, the no good Indian. My parents who were both teachers looked at each other and says, they treat these indigenous people, these Indians, exactly like they treat us in, in South Africa. Mm. Complete racism. Nothing to do with your personality or your abilities or anything is to do with your skin color. Yeah. And if there's going to be the next challenge as well, mm -hmm. is to do all these things. Because as soon as you, you, you realize the stratification of, of, the, uh, of patriarchy, you will see that the old white rich men are on the top. Mm -hmm. And they'll even beat the woman yeah. that they're supposed to be married to because they're not conforming, they're not, and you, everybody has to have their place, you know, or you can't handle it. And the only way you can handle it is through violence. Yep. And this is, this, is the, this is the issue, right? Where your educational system is geared towards one thing only to perpetuate that hierarchy. Yeah, that massacre part, so that you glorify it to the point that you want to join the army, you want to join the police yeah. force, yeah. you want to kill and, um, maim and, and beat people you deem lesser than you exactly that's why that's why one of the best my biggest heroes all of all time is muhammad ali ah yeah if i'm if i want to fight an oppressor i'm gonna fight you right here mm -hmm. i don't need to go fight somebody i don't know all the way over there yeah. kill somebody with a brown skin like me for who for you i'm not going you're gonna to go to jail i'll go to jail Plain and simple. That's my. That's and that's that. That I, I. I said it in simple terms, but this is the crux of the matter. This is what he was. He was for right. Yep. And of course, then they had to deal with him. Oh, he's a Muslim, and he is this, and he is that, and he's scared, and he's he's not a he's not a he's not a man. He's a, the you know the bravest of the brave. Yep. Right? Standing and up to tyranny in his own backyard. Yeah. yeah you know. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. It's uh, and that I see all the time. It. it I was uh, really surprised to see a tweet of mine kind of get a little more play than normal because I logged on and I seen all these Canadians who were so proud of um, President Zelensky in, in the Ukraine for defending his land. And I laughed at them and I said, well, how on earth can you say that you respect him while you demonize um, Canagus Manuel? Or um, you know the the Ganawage for uh, right the a golf course incident that white people call the Oka crisis, but um, the folks there call uh, the invasion of Ganawage. Right. You know th that's the the irony is that they'll cheer for a foreign white person defending their land, Correct. but here you know immediately when Colton Bushi was killed somehow the farmer that did it was totally in the right and defending his land so it was okay despite the fact broken treaty is where his land is you know it, it's such a it, it's so hypocritical to see canadians um talk and, and, and cheer some foreigner when honestly they're the oppressor here and they don't even want to really challenge that thought um 
yeah. So I, I know what you mean. And this is how we continue to educate ourselves, right? Yeah. With, with that sort of information, with that sort of uh, uh, duopoly, the, the, yeah. the duplicitous nature of just saying that it's okay for this person over here to do it, it's okay, but they but you can't do it here. Oh, I lost lots of followers, both on on all my social medias, actually, for that matter, because uh, there were a lot of that made a lot of folks uncomfortable. Uh, you know, as you know, uh, we've had three waves of uh, Ukrainian uh, settlement here in Western Canada. So, of course, all the conservative uh, MPs are behind helping, um, you know, this narrative as well, because these are this is their voting base um of folks that that they're going to uh continue to pander to um and and rightfully so i mean i don't i do not agree in any capacity of what is happening with russia but you know we i also don't absolve um ukraine of their racism i don't also uh, i i don't think war is the answer but this is obviously it's way beyond you know we're already talking war um we're already seeing war we're already seeing casualties from war uh, but I also think that, you know, at the end of the day, who does war benefit? It benefits the oligarchy, the uh, right. rich folks, not the working right. class, not the people yeah. in poverty. And they're already rationing bread in the Ukraine as of today. Yeah. And, you know, it's only going to get worse and it's going to get worse globally as a result of their decisions and the economic sanctions that are going to be imposed. And, uh, you know. But notice how easy it is just to uh, have a have a crisis somewhere way out and it hasn't affected anybody yet. How easy it is to have your gas price go up. Like we're the highest right now. We're at uh, 181 right now in gas, you know. And to have that go uh, go up that quick. But you know, when there's, when there's peaceful times, that, 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 that price doesn't go down. No, no. Money. It's my daughter it. asked me the question mom when you were my uh when i was uh 18 i was pumping gas and it was uh 43 cents yeah. and she she just can't even comprehend that now of course um and we never will see that ever again but yeah there's better technology there's better ways to refine this etc right. et why is it more expensive because Not somebody somewhere has a quarter profit that they wanted that's right, right? That's <laughs> But nothing to do with reality. It's all to do with that. To bring back that question of uh, of Ukrainian um, and the waves of Ukraine that came through. I noticed in the 80s uh, that if you go and take a look at a lot of municipalities, you take a, a look at a lot of um, cities, you will see two colors that they have adopted. The Ukrainian blue and, and yellow. Go take a look. Go take a look at a lot of these municipalities because just as they came in, they incorporated, they took power of certain areas. Part of that is not only the British, it's a lot of Europe that has done that as well. Yeah. Right? You take a look at that and to, and to show you how, how the, the, uh, the, the infiltration of this and just and then an acceptance. It's an acceptance, okay, yeah, there you go. So they, they put up the colors, right? Okay, nothing, I, you know, I used to work very closely with uh, a Ukraine organization called um, the Association of United Ukrainian Canadians. The, they were progressive people. Mm -hmm. They were the ones that saw tyranny, came over in a wave, but weren't the same as the, 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 the other others, right? So you'll see, the, you'll see a difference in people. I don't blanket any everybody, right? And and that is that is why we have to work with with as many people as possible. That's why the anti-racism coalition used the word coalition and not movement because we want to work with people, yeah, as many people as possible. And then I also realized this because I worked in the anti-apartheid movement of Manitoba, and we worked a lot with everybody, mm. including uh, uh, the indigenous leaders. And at that time, I, 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 I met, um, this is the 80s, so I met George Erasmus from the Dene. Mm. And after George Erasmus, very soon after that, there was another guy called Overd Mercury. In fact, I used to call, I used to say, hey, Mr. Wednesday. And he said, well, what do you mean, Mr. Wednesday? I said, well, your name's um, Mercury. He says, no, it's not, it's not McCurdy. I says, yeah, I know, because it's, it's uh, Manitoba is predominantly English, but your name is actually French, and it means Wednesday. Mercredi is Wednesday. And I says, I'm allowed to call you that because my name is September. Yeah. 
and he just started laughing. He says, okay. So Ovid, Mercury, and myself, we used to banter a lot, which is good. And of course, uh, after um, close after Ovid was, um, was Phil Fontaine. I think he had a couple of terms, actually. Phil was a, he was a very young guy at the time. So was I. Very young guy at the time, but very progressive, right? And we used to work with the, the, the Métis Association as well. Uh, I think the man at that time, his name was Ed Head, right? So it was uh, interesting working with all these a variety of people for, for different reasons on the same issue, yep. anti-racism. Yep. You know? And uh, the more we can educate ourselves in what it actually means and where it's come from. And I think if people listen to this podcast and remember the four M's, the missionaries, the merchants, the military, and the massacre, I think it'll put a more, a slightly better perspective on how it started. Mm. Because you know that there was no overt racism before 1400s. It came in with the British, with the Europeans, stealing people from their lands, uh, conquering their lands, stealing the lands, stealing the resources. And in order to do that, they had to demonize people. So the continent, Black Africa, Dark Africa was scary. You don't wanna go out to the outpost because the, the Red Indians are going to you know, scalp you. Well, the first people who did scalping was the Europeans. Yeah, not so, us. Yep. You know, and, there, and there's another distortion of history. Like yeah. who did what, when and how. Yep. So try and get all that information, rewrite that information, try and ensure that people understand that there are many sides to a story. There's not one or two sides. Not even, there's not even like people say yours, mine, and then the truth. There's more than that. Yeah. Because there's so many uh, layers of this complicity. Well, and as humans, we can only comprehend so much. So when you have 10 people in a room, you have so much more, um, you know, information to share and perspective to look at uh, what you are sharing. It, 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 it's a real shame that uh, we've been forced into the segregation and segregation of ideas and culture and, and education, because unfortunately, everybody is lesser as a result. And um, that's why I always say for white supremacy. Hurts Where did that start? Where did that start? White supremacy hurts everybody. It started with the, the notion of divide and rule. Yeah. And this is what you do. You stratify your, your, your entire population so that you have these people on top, these are the next beneficiaries, et cetera, et cetera. It really, really, really points to what happened in South Africa, yeah. where you have a melting pot of people, but you definitely have the white and even the white is stratified between the Boers and the English, Yeah. right? Uh, but they will use each other when they need to use each other. Mm -hmm. Then you have the variety of different colors, which are the Indian population originally, which are called the Malays. And then you'll have the, uh, the colored population, a very group of population as well, who think themselves better than the, the, the blacks because they are closer to white. Then you'll have the black population and sometimes they're stratified because they want to be controlled by tribe. And it's always going to be a divide and rule. You get yeah. one tribe against another. The British come in, control both sides, give guns to both sides. They'll massacre each other and the British will come and just take over the lands. Yeah. To prove to you that racism is an economic tool, in South Africa, in the 60s, because of their economic power, Jap Japanese were considered honorary whites. Go figure. Honorary whites. That proves to you that racism is an economic tool. Yeah. No, it, right. it's, uh, it's always been that way. I mean, ultimately, because we were talking about um, the amount of money that these uh, folks are making, they're not sharing it. They're literally foreign entities coming to our lands, exploiting the land, taking, profiting, and leaving without any type of revenue share. Like that's, that's never been, that is treaty, but that's never been their intention with their, with what they do. Uh, sharing has never been their intention. And even the idea of like a more progressive uh, democracy and more socialist policies, they will invest money to fight. 
So you're 100% right that racism and oppression is a part of uh, economic profit, 100%. It's designed that way. Yep. Because we take a look at it, you know, that there are black generals in, uh, in Rome. And there was no overt racism in that sense, because long time ago, you were able to conquer a different area or have fights with a different tribe. And you, if you won, then those people would either be co-opted into your organization or into your, your, your nation, and some of them would be slaves. It doesn't mean that they, they were all one color or one kind of people. And it was shown that back with the Nubians when they conquered the Egypt and vice versa. Mm -hmm. They were co-opted co yeah. into each other's um, uh, nation states and tribes, whatever you want, kingdoms and et cetera, et cetera. You know, Steve, I know you and I could probably talk for two more hours and I appreciate you taking the time that you've taken today in order to talk to me. So thank you from the bottom of my heart. I hope that uh, between your, your website and I'll, I'll give the Instagram um, information as well in, in our info, I'm hoping that you'll have a lot more followers and, um, and go from there because it, to me, this work of anti-racism is so important. Uh, you know, we try to do that work out here as well. And it is so difficult under these ri ridiculous um, dynamics that we're under with uh, the pandemic and now the war and, you know, trying to recover economically. It, it's, and these barriers are there for a reason. So this work is really important. It is the most important work as far as I'm concerned. So I, I appreciate you coming on and talking Just about it. Another, sure. sure. Uh, people have to question all the time. Mm -hmm. What is happening now when the issue of Ukraine and, and um, Russia are on the table? What is happening in Yemen, Somalia, Palestine? What is happening in these countries? You don't see it anymore, mm. but that hasn't stopped. And, and this is a good cover up for all that. Yeah. And I think, I think that you, you need, and this is another reason why there's gonna be a lot of censorship. Yeah. There's gonna be a lot of, lot of places that are gonna be, uh, news outlets are gonna be closed because they're showing these kind of stuff. You have, we have to start try and get people together. And we made it clear, clear we had a few issues ba back in January and we made it clear at, as in the anti-racism coalition that we are not going to fight with any other BIPOC organization over anything. Yeah. If someone has a point of view, great. That's your point of view. Go ahead with it, run with it. We are not going to challenge you on that point of view. Yeah. What we are going to do is continue to make a coalition of people. We have to come together. Mm. We have to learn from each other. Yes. We can't say, well, this person said that. I don't like that. And we're not going to, well, you're not listening to the whole story. Mm. Right. Well, I appreciate that. Thank you so much, Steve. I appreciate that. My pleasure. Awesome. Well, uh, I'm going to say my exit and you're welcome to chime in and anything that I say, uh, because you may have some other resources that you really like as well. Um, I'm proud that this podcast has given solutions and included cultural safety training or cultural first aid in almost all of them to create a safer place for Indigenous, people of color, those with a disability, LGBTQ2+, to speak. I just recently shared this, actually, as uh, the conversation here in Alberta. Today's March 1st, so today's the day. There's no uh, mask restrictions. And for folks who choose to wear a mask, they who may get harassed, this link will still help you there as well. So a huge thank you to uh, Cheryl Ward, Chelsea Branch, and Alicia Fridkin of heretohelp.bc.ca of what is Indigenous cultural safety and why I should care about it. Their work in those cultural action tools I've said hundreds of times in my podcast, so please support Indigenous work as part of your reconciliation work and settler understanding. I'm just lucky enough to highlight it and repeat it here. Internalized racism or lateral violence is another form of violence uh, marginalized folks experience by the structure of racism. And I actually think Steve just rightly said that by saying, um, we have to come together, we have to work together. And if one BIPOC organization has some different thoughts, you don't fight that because that is a form of that internalized racism or lateral violence. So we have to figure out how to work together. Um, racial tools, racialequitytools.org by Donna Bevins has a great uh, PDF on what is internalized racism that I recommend. 
Uh, American Friends Service Committee has some really great uh, suggestions for do's and don'ts for bystander intervention. And again, this is, can be used not just for Muslim women's getting their hijab uh, ripped off or LGBTQ plus or uh, disabled folks who are trying to access services and you're witnessing barriers, uh, but also the masks. Um, and again, Indigenous have been talking about these um, issues. Oh, I don't know if I actually gave it to you. The um, AFSC.org, Resources, Do's and Don'ts, Bystander Intervention. Uh, lots of information there. Indigenous have been talking about our issues, sharing our traumas in reports, commissions, and public hearings, just so it can be regularly disregarded. No more. Honor our words. Honor the treaties. Listen to politicians and their policies and platforms if they don't recognize marginalized in their budget with gender equity plus if cutting violence prevention programs, services, indigenous education, uterus health choices, gay straight alliances, lack of human rights for uh, migrants, immigrants, folks with disabilities, know that your vote to that party directly negatively impacts marginalized people, demand that they implement the Truth and Reconciliation Commission calls to actions, the recommendations of the Royal Commission on Aboriginal Peoples, the multiple reports about child welfare reform, violence prevention, now 231 calls to justice from the National Inquiry on Missing and Murdered Indigenous Women, Girls and Two-Spirit, denying these reports is a form of abuse called gaslighting. Our people are experiencing racism in the justice, education and health institutions with multiple reports that say the same thing, demand change from the election platforms and politicians. They, if they don't understand colonialism, racism, privilege, and sexism, they have zero business running. This should be understood by all parties and politicians, community organizations, sports clubs, etc. Um, a really great article is Truth Before Truth, How Non-Indigenous Canadians Become Allies. And there's actually even more great articles out there. If you're experiencing emotional distress after anything we talked about today, you can call the First Nation and Inuit Hope for Wellness Helpline at one 855 23310. Uh, it's tool free, open 24 hours a day, seven days a week. If you go to hopeforwellness.ca, they actually have a chat option on there as well. If more related to missing and murdered Indigenous women, girls, and two spirit, you can call 844 413 6649. For non Indigenous people, you can call the distress center line in your area. A lot of folks have functioning two on ones. And uh, if not, you can also call 833-456-4566. In Alberta, we have the 60 Scoop uh, Indigenous Society of Alberta, SSISA.ca. If you're seeing or experiencing racism, report it to Act to End Racism or text at 587-507-3838. Um, right away, their website comes on when you do do that text. I also want to give a huge shout out to the Trevor Project for giving so many resources for LGBTQ2 plus and uh, youth and peer support and trans lifeline. You can go to uh, lifevoice.ca for crisis supports and LGBTQ2 plus uh, crisis supports as well. Uh, also, Kids Help Phone, 1-800-668-6868. This of course matters because today here in Treaty 8, uh, so I'm in Treaty 7, but in Treaty 8, at one of the uh, residential schools, they're going to be um, announcing more uh, missing children that they have rediscovered. So please be kind to yourself. Um, crying is healing, crying is normal. And it's important to remember we're under the stress of a pandemic, uh, world war with nuclear stress. And it's you are experiencing a lot of stress at this moment, so be kind to yourself. Violence is my everyday reality. Every Indigenous generation has faced it. That's why I started the podcast, to speak freely without interruption, tone police, leadership, shaming, gaslighting questions, as many people don't want to hear Indigenous opinion, but sure want to tell us theirs, even if they know nothing about colonialism, the constant surveillance of Indigenous people, our protests, our vigils, and our rights, microaggressions, people dealing with internalized racism, people who become gatekeepers and survive off of the status quo, and then folks who are still dealing with their trauma and they don't have cultural supports. Internal and external racism is an everyday reality for Indigenous people. I want to say thank you to my ancestors, to my granny, my mom, and what strength looks like through your example, my dad for teaching me to be strong and blunt, my stepmom for showing me what a proud culture is through her Austrian roots, 
and teaching me to be a proud Calgarian. It's through her, I'm a second generation proud Calgarian. But if you are not native, I recommend you don't call yourself a native Calgarian. I want to say thank you to my husband for producing and editing the show on top of being my husband, my childhood friend, the father of our child, he has supported me down my journey of the red road for decades, and he has witnessed racism and sexism as a result. To our child who we are blessed to learn from daily, we are honored you chose us, you give me daily accountability to be a better and stronger person. I hope one day they'll be proud of us discussing these present day issues in a way that they can understand. My patron account is Native Calgarian, where you can go pledge and support. Thank you, previous donors, for showing your support. If you value listening or watching and can afford to give, thank you. To those who cannot afford to give, I'd love to hear from you at nativeyyc at gmail.com, where you can send in your comments or your questions. I also have a YouTube channel. You can go and subscribe. You can go to nativecalgarian.com for all the latest podcasts and pin posts on social media. And I always end by giving that side eye to those Calgary rabbits. You're lucky I'm not tradish. My beautiful cousin who we went driving with one day said, oh, are you being my dish? <laughs> Thanks so much for listening, folks.